there in Hebrews chapter 12. We'll just read the first few verses. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And that's all we'll read. Uh, we may look a little farther. I, I don't know how I don't know how far we'll get in this. But chapter eleven, well known, the patriarchs of faith are listed, and really uh, I think the wrong thought is had a lot of times. But what you read in the chapter eleven is the result that faith had in these men's lives. It wasn't these men that done these mighty works. Noah would have died in the flood had he not found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Abraham would have died in Ur of the Chaldees, worshiping idols, if the Lord had not came and spoke to him and said, Get out of this country. Jacob would have died a subplanter and a, a thief and a, an untrue, a wicked man had God not dealt with him and brought him to Bethel. So all of these works are by the hand and by the power of God. God was the producer of these in these men's lives, and He's the one that has produced us. If you're saved and born again, you're a product of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And had God not came to where we are, we would have had no faith either. I believe exactly as it was taught this morning, God knew where Zacchaeus was going to be, and Jesus came for Zacchaeus. He says in John chapter 4 of that woman in Samaria, I must needs go to Samaria. This is not, it's not by coincidence. It's not by, well, it's up to man. A lot of people's God's about that big. And what that God does depends on what I do. Well, if He's going to save, then you have to do this. If He's going to save my people, then I've got to do this. So I, I'm determining how God moves. It's put that way a lot of times. People believe those things, but that's not true. God's omnipotent, and He is sovereign, and He acts as His will sees fit, whether I do anything or not. His will is going to be accomplished. So we've looked at these in chapter 11, and he comes to 12, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. I've heard that talked about in a lot of ways. People are gathered around watching. Maybe that these patriarchs are up in heaven and they're watching out over us like mom and daddy's watching over us. You hear foolishness, foolishness, foolishness. But that's not what he's talking about. We've got their testimony and the life that they lived and the victory that they won by faith that we can look back at and see that there were others that endured. There were others that fought. And you know, I, I realize we get hung up a lot of times on Abraham, on Moses, on all the mighty works that God wrought through them. And God certainly wrought many mighty works through those men. But they suffered. 
The Bible says that Moses refused to stay in Pharaoh's throne, in Pharaoh's palace, and went to suffer affliction with the people of God. And we read in chapter 11, in verse 35, about midway through, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. They weren't all on top of the mountain and victorious all the time. There were some that suffered greatly. There were some that endured great sufferings and a terrible death. And there were some that had great victories and won great battles in this life. You think of David. Well, David had a son that rebelled against him, tried to throw him off of the kingdom and would have killed him if he could have. Then he had a son lay with his daughter and he lost four sons altogether. To think now, and I believe here's what he's saying in verse 1, we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses we're not the only one that's fighting and in a battle. The devil would like for man to believe, well, I'm the only one that's striving. He'd like for you to believe that you're the only one that's facing what we're facing today. And the devil had Elijah thinking that way, that as Elijah had won the victory up on the mountain, and Jezebel said, I'm going to take your life from you tomorrow. If you're not dead by tomorrow, then may God kill me. That's what Jezebel said. And Elijah ran in fear, and he ran, best I can tell, 120, 130 miles, and he went a day's journey out in the wilderness, and he sat down and he said, God, I, I, I'm jealous for you, and they've, I've thrown down their altars, they forgot about you, and they've killed your prophets, and I'm the only man that's left. I'm the only one that's standing and fighting for you. That'd be a discouraging place to be. That's where the devil would like for the church of the living God to be. That, well, I'm the only one out of all the bunch that's really trying to seek God. That's a lie. He told Elijah, I've got 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal, and that have not kissed his image. I have, and he says in uh, Romans, I've reserved. I've kept it. It's by God's power, friends, that there's still a church. It'll be by God's power that the church remains. The devil would like to get us in a carnal mindset and in a carnal place that we think the world and the good of the world and the gain of the world is the blessing of God. And without the good of the world, well, then God's not blessing. Well, you, you can have the good of the world and you can have it for a hundred years and die and perish, your soul perish in hell fire for eternity. Timothy, 
Suppose not gain to be godliness. Turn away from those and flee. But seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, looking at these in the past that have suffered, looking at what faith has wrought in the lives of others, what's the exhortation for me and for you to do? Well, he's going to give us a parable. It's a picture that we can see and understand. The Olympics are going on right now. They're, they're having races, foot races, uh, relays. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So he's using the picture of a race, a foot race, a runner in a foot race. And you know what they're going to run? They're going to run a course that's already laid out and already determined. It's already laid out and already determined. It's already been marked out. It's already been told how far, how many laps you're going to do, and that's going to be the end of your race. Now, you see, God, God's thought of, I guess, as, as very little and very little influence and very little power today. But the Word of God teaches of a God that's in control of all things. In control of everything. And we are where God would have us to be for this hour. David was a young man. He was out keeping the sheep of his father. He didn't know about the battle that that Israel was in. He didn't know about Goliath that was standing and challenging the children of Israel. His father called him and said, Listen, David, I want you to go down there where the army's at. Check on your brothers. Deliver this to the captain and see if they need anything. And that's where David was going. He was going to check on his brothers and see what they needed down there at the battle. But he saw Goliath down there. And his brother said, why, why are you here? David said, is there not a cause? Now, though, though David did not intend on slaying a giant, best I can tell, did not know there was a giant there until he got there, yet God guided him to that place, that day, that minute, and that hour for that purpose. Esther, who was uh, just a, a virgin that was captive in the kingdom, and here they're going to have a uh, find a wife for the king, and here she is. She's selected out of all the virgins in the kingdom. Esther is selected to be the queen. And the challenge comes. They're going to kill. They're going to destroy all of the Jews throughout all the land. And her uh, uncle says, Esther, who knows? But you may have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. God had her there for that moment and for that time to accomplish that work that she had. And the, the Lord Jesus Himself says, For this hour came I into this world. The Lord Jesus' course was laid out before He was ever born. Ours was as well. Whether you believe it or not, whether you accept it or not, it was laid out before we were born, from before the foundation of the world. The Bible says He declareth the end from the beginning. 
God Almighty in control of all things. And here we are, and I promise this, we're in the kingdom for this time and for this hour and for a purpose. It's not just a happenstance day by day, but God has got us where we are, the place we work, the family we have. We are planted in a place by the purpose and by the direction of the hand of God. And he says, let's run the course that God has set before us. God's laid a course for us to run, for us to accomplish a work for every single one of us to do. He says, let us lay aside every weight. So that word weight, it's a a mass, a burden, or a hindrance. So if, if you were going to run in a foot race... Would you wear a weight around your back? Would you put weights around your ankles? You know what that's going to be? That's going to hinder you from reaching your best speed. That's going to hinder you. I don't care what kind of shape you're in. I don't care how fast you can run. You put a weight on you, it's going to be a hindrance. You put a weight around your ankles, it's going to slow your time down and you're not going to be able to do as well as you could. Well, see, that's the way the world is. The world and things in the world, they become a hindrance to our finishing the course that God would have us to do. The devil would like to tie us down with weights, with hindrances, with burdens, with fears, with doubts, and with disbeliefs that would cause us to slow, that would cause us to trip, and that would cause us a hindrance in our following the course that the Lord has laid out before us. He says here, lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset. So it's a picture of a competitor thwarting a racer on every side. Everywhere you turn, there's the enemy. Now is that not the truth? Every way you turn, there's the enemy. You say, I'm going to start to pray. I, I need to pray more. I believe that'd be fitting in all of our lives. You know what there's going to be? There's going to be hindrances to that. There's going to be things that come up that's going to hinder us from doing that. And when we would go to do that, there'll be a, a sin there that'll easily beset us. The enemy will be right there to stop it. You say, well, I'm going to start reading the Word of God every morning for 15 minutes. Don't sound hard. Don't sound like any trouble. You set out to do that. You know what's going to happen? There's going to be hindrances pop up and there's going to be the enemy there to thwart you from following after God. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Those things that we war with and that we struggle. And you know, I know sometimes... Sometimes we like to be high and mighty. We like to think very highly of ourselves. But the truth is, the God's truth, and you may be the only one that knows it, there is a sin that easily besets you. There's a sin that you, and it's not the same for everybody, but there is a sin that you struggle with, that you war with, And without great carefulness and without great struggle, that sin will beset you. It's our weakness. We have weakness. You know why that is? If I wasn't weak, I would not depend on the Lord for anything. 
But the Lord told Paul, He said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. When you're weak, then you're strong. When you are weak, then you look to me. But Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, Timothy, be strong. Be strong by the grace of God that's within you. Be a good soldier and endure hardness. There's the way the church is going to endure by the grace of God that's within them. But we are left with this struggle. We're left with this warfare. And if we are going to accomplish the work that the Lord would have us accomplish, know this, the enemy's going to beset us on every side, every way that we turn to try to follow the Lord Jesus. The hindrance is going to pop up. A reason for us to lay that aside is going to pop up. And the sin that does so easily beset us is going to continually creep into our life. It's there. Our enemy is there. He's present. He's warring. And you know what he wants? He wants to hinder me in my race. Hinder me in my course. Hinder me in my running. And if I could see that for what it truly was, if I could see when the hindrance popped up, well, I can't pray today. I've got, I've got to do this. I ain't got to I've got this other thing that's pressed. You know what that is? That's the devil. And that's a hindrance that would keep me from finishing the race that the Lord would have me to run. And let us run with patience. You know what that word means? It's a beautiful word. Cheerful endurance. I've not done a lot of running in my life, but I've done some. And you know where the hardest part is, the God's truth? The hardest part in trying to run is right here. Your body is able to do a whole lot more than this right here says you can do. And if you can push through this, you can, you can surprise yourself. I promise you can. You can do a whole lot more than you think. But the war is right here. That's what he said in the next verse. Lest you be wearied and faint. Where? In your mind. You see where the battle is? It's within us. It's in my mind. And it's in my heart. And there the warfare takes place. He says in James, From whence cometh these wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence from your lusts that war among your members? In the mind and in the thinking and in the heart is where the warfare is at that the devil would like to hinder us. Let us run with patience. If we're going to run this race, if we're going to stay this course, if we're going to work as the Lord would have us to work, if we're going to seek as God would have us to seek, we're going to have to have some cheerful endurance. The disciples, after Jesus died, they were preaching the gospel. Peter and John, they took them and they flogged them. And they said, don't speak in His name anymore. And they let them go. Now, the, the flogging, they could give 40 lashes with a cat of nine tails, a whip with nine heads on it. They could give 40 lashes, save one. 39 licks with a cat of nine tails. That's what they gave them. Now, what do you reckon they look like? How do you reckon they felt? Do you think in the body they were feeling real good? Do you think when they lashed Paul and Silas, 
and they put them in the inner part of the prison, do you think that in the body they felt real good? I'd say they hurt. They were sore. But the Bible says that Peter and John, they went to the other disciples and they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of the Lord Jesus. You know what they had in their heart? A desire to finish the course and to please the Savior that had called them. Cheerful endurance. A willingness to endure the mind. There's where the war is continually. It's in the mind and it's in the heart. And if you're going to run, you're going to have to have your mind set that I'm not going to slow down. I'm going to keep going until I can't go anymore. In the mind, we're going to have to have it made up. I'm going to run and I'm going to make it to the top of that hill. And you know what you can do? In the mind, if you can defeat it, you can make it to the top of the hill and you can say, I'm going to run just a Further, I'm not going to let up. It's all up here. Well, that's the way it is here. The devil works in the doubt and in the fear of the mind. And he'd like to cause us in the mind to err from the way. And when I fail in the mind and in the heart, the body's going to quit. Try to go running one evening and see if this ain't the truth. When your mind says, I'm done your body will stop. Well, there's where the devil's working to stop our progress, to stop our run with the Lord. But with cheerful endurance, if there could be a desire that the Lord Jesus, maybe we'll come back to cheerful endurance, looking unto Jesus. So that word means looking. Don't sound like much. To consider attentively, to contemplate. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So you know what he was? He was the chief or the captain. That's what author means. And the finisher, he's going to be the consummator or the completer of it. Now who does my faith depend on? Did I start it by believing in the altar one night? People think that. Well, I believed in God and that's why I got saved. And my husband, my wife, my, my parents, my children, they didn't believe and that's why they're lost. So you're better than they are. That's not what the book says. The book says that my faith, Jesus is the author of it and He's the finisher of it. You know how I came into the kingdom of God? God saved my soul. God did that. God came by with His Word and He convinced me, first of all, that I was a sinner. You know, I didn't know that I was a sinner. You know that I thought I was pretty good. I thought I was going to heaven. I thought I met the requirements that I needed to to be accepted. I did. I, I was fooled. I was deceived. I had my belief in a lie. But you know, the Lord came by and you know how long it took. This is a God's truth. I was on a baseball field. I was 11 years old. I played second base. And a little boy come by and said, Joseph, you ever been saved? I said, no, I've not. And I realized it that day. That day, on a baseball field, I knew that I had never 
been saved. Now that didn't just fall out of the sky. I'd been brought up in church under the gospel. I had heard, but I'm telling you, God changed my mind and it was as fast as you could snap your fingers that God showed me that I needed to be saved. Who authored that? God did. God brought that to fruition. God drew me to an altar through the gospel and by the Spirit. I can remember. Oh, I remember sitting in the second row right beside my mama. I remember it was sometime after after that. I remember the preacher preaching the gospel and the power of God fell on me and I couldn't pick my head up off of the bench. That's how lost that God had got me. I needed relief. God got me to the place that I was going to die. And he took a man that said, I'm not interested in any of that business. He took a man like that and he said, that man was saying, God, would you have mercy on me and save my wretched soul? You don't have to believe my story. We got one written right here. Paul the Apostle, he had letters going down to Damascus. You know what he was going to do? Paul said, give me some approval letters. I'm going to go through that bunch of jail. And in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, God appeared to Paul. God showed Paul what he was. And Paul began to pray for mercy and forgiveness and salvation. Who authored that? God did. And you know how we're going to make it. He's the author, but he's the finisher as well. He ain't saying, now listen, Joseph, you've been saved and I've cleaned your slate. Now you do good the rest of your life. You be a good man and you live right and I'll let you into heaven. These people believe that too. That would be, oh, that'd be a miserable place to have to live. As much as I fail, how afraid you'd be continually. But I tell you what the Lord said. He said, I've authored this faith and I'm going to finish it. You know what Paul said? I believe it was to the Philippians. He which hath begun a good work in you will work it till the day of salvation. This ain't a work dependent on how strong I am or how strong you are. God wrought this work and God's going to complete it. My faith rests in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have to do good to be saved. Praise God, I'm saved today and I'm as saved right now as I will be when the Lord comes back. That's unchangeable. But I believe just exactly like Chris said, the desire in the heart of somebody that's saved is that we might please the one that called us to be a soldier. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the one we owe everything to, the author and finisher, who for the joy that was set before Him, So what joy was set before the Lord Jesus? That word set before, it's the same as where he says the race is set before us. So the Lord Jesus had a course 
that was set before him as well. But you know what that course was going to include? The course of the Lord Jesus included being born in a horse and camel stable in Bethlehem, being brought up a poor man who by his own words said, the fox has a hole, the bird's got a nest, I don't have any place to lay my head. That's his words. A man lived a poor life. He had nothing. He was hated. He was despised. He was rejected. And they took him and they mocked him and they beat him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They plucked his beard out. They beat him till the bones were showing. They nailed him to a cross naked. And there he died before all of man. Now that was the course that God laid before Jesus. You don't think God did that? The Bible says, For this cause came I into this hour. This is the reason that I've come to this world. I've come to do the will of my Father which has sent me. You know what the will of the Father was? That He had finished this course, that He had died on the cross, that you and I could have redemption. Now, He didn't enjoy the cross. The Bible says right here that He despised the shame. He despised the mockery. And He bore the pain of it too now. They offered wine to those that were going to be crucified. And that was to help ease the pain. They didn't have pills like we've got today. They took strong drink to ease the pain and suffering of dying. And as the Lord Jesus was going, carrying the cross, those women, they offered wine to Him to drink. You've, you've heard that, I'm sure. That was so that He might drink and ease the pain and the suffering that He was about to endure. And you know what He said? Women, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. And weep for your children. And weep for those that I'm dying for. That's who you need to be weeping for. And He refused the drink and He went on to die. He says, contemplate on Jesus. Look unto Him and study the Lord Jesus. The author and finisher who for the joy. Now what joy could there be in the course that the Lord had to run? He says in Isaiah 53, a chapter very much about the suffering servant, the dying Lamb of God. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. In John, the Gospel of John chapter 17, there you find the Lord praying. And this is what the Lord says. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Now who's he talking about? I believe it could be easily said in the verses previous, the Lord Jesus is praying for His apostles. 
But here in verse 20, he says, I'm not praying for these men alone, but for all them that would believe and for all them that thou had given me. And Isaiah, he said he would see his seed. You know the joy that was set before the Lord Jesus was that he was looking at those that would be redeemed by him finishing his course. So he endured. That word means to stay under. Let let me read the definition or I'll butcher that. He endured the cross. It means to stay under, to remain, or to undergo. Well, he didn't have no choice. I, I disagree completely. The Lord told, I believe it was Peter, Peter smote that man's ear off with a sword when they come to take the Lord. He was going to defend him and he was going to fight. And the Lord healed that man's ear and he said, Listen, I could call 12 legions of angels and they had come rescue me. But this is my Father's will. This is the cup that the Father has placed in my lap and I don't drink in it. It was a bitter cup, but oh, the joy. You know, we we get to have church today, and a young man can stand up here and tell you how he got saved, and I can stand up here and tell you how I got saved. You know how that is? The Lord finished His course. He endured. He despised the shame. All for the redemption of our souls and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What a finish that he had. Now the devil says, it ain't worth it to endure. It'd be better for you not to have to endure. Don't you reckon he whispered that to the Lord Jesus as well? Why would you do this for these people? Come down from there. If you're the Son of God, come down from there. He didn't want him to die. See, people think the devil wanted him on the cross. No, the devil wanted him down. He was losing. The devil was losing. Now as I look naturally, it looks like the Lord Jesus is losing. But in truth, He was enduring and undergoing that He might win the victory that we could be saved. But at the end, he was resurrected. And notice the way this is written. And is, this is chapter verse 2, the last part. And is set. And is set. Now, Paul wrote that down probably in 60 A.D., somewhere around that time. And when he wrote that down, the Spirit had him write that in the present tense. When Paul wrote that, the Lord Jesus was set at the right hand of the throne of God. But you know something amazing about that written word? It's now 2,000 years nearly later. I can sit down and read this, and I can read that Jesus is, present tense still, set. He's still there. He's still victorious. He's still on the right hand of God, and He's making... 
protection for us. Oh, you talk about beautiful, beautiful scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, the last two verses. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What is he talking about in this whole chapter? I don't question that many of you already know what this chapter is about. It's about the resurrection. Death's coming. We're all going to die. Paul's going to have his head cut off not long after he writes this. Peter's going to be crucified upside down. James is going to be beheaded. All 11 of the apostles is going to be martyred, save one, John. And John's going to be exiled to Patmos to live there alone. Sounds like a terrible way to live through this life, doesn't it? It's not worth it. But Paul says that I'm ready to be offered. That's what he writes to Timothy. Timothy, I'm ready for them to take my life because I know that there's a crown of righteousness and a place of rest awaiting me. So friends, when the devil would like to just waller you in the self-pity and in the worry and in the doubt, and he says it's just not worth it. Know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Payment will come. It may not be in this life. Paul didn't get delivered from the guillotine. And Peter wasn't delivered from the cross. And John wasn't delivered from Patmos. He died there. Yet they received a resurrection. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider, again, to look at, to contemplate, Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself. So contradiction, dispute, opposition, disobedience or rebellion. The Lord endured contradiction of sinners, opposition of sinners against Himself. So now here is the man giving his life for sinners and here's the sinners that are opposing Him and saying away with this man and crucify Him. He says this in Peter. I believe it's 1 Peter. Yep, 1 Peter chapter 2. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So the Lord, he didn't threaten back. He didn't oppose, the Bible says in Isaiah 53 again, that he was as the sheep before his shearers as dumb. He opened not his mouth. He didn't argue his case. 
He didn't condemn them. He didn't threaten them. He didn't fight back. He submitted himself and said, God, you're the one in control. Let me cast myself in your hand. And Lord, you let your will be accomplished. Submitting himself to the cross and the shame of it that we might be saved. And he endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint. So now wearied, it means to be tired or sick. And faint means to relax or to loosen. So, where's the battle? It's in the mind. And according to the book, we're going to get tired. We're going to get sick. We're going to get weary. We're going to faint in our minds unless we keep our eyes on our Savior, the captain of our salvation. So what's the devil going to do? He's going to make us tired of it. I believe Jeremiah got tired of it, don't you? Jeremiah tried to prophesy and speak the word of God. They had said that he was against Israel, that he hated the king, that he hated the laws of the land, that he wanted to see the enemy destroy, that he was, he's not God's man. He's against us and he's of the devil. And they had thrown him in prison and I believe at that time he was thrown in the dungeon and he sunk up to his armpits in the mire. And they dropped a little bread to feed him every day. And he said, I, I have prophesied the word of God. I've warned this people. And it's got me nowhere. But it's got me to a place that I'm despised. That I'm hated. That I'm rejected. That it's, I'm here in the dungeon. He said, I quit. And I'll never speak your name. And I'll never speak your word again. But the book says... Jeremiah says, but it was a fire shut up in my bones and I could not stay. You know what he got? He got wearied in his mind and he fainted. And he said, I'm going to quit. You ever been there? Oh, you say you haven't? I don't believe it. We've all been there. We've been there more than once. And we've Treated me enough. I'm gonna quit. There's no sense in it. There's no use in going back. There's no use in staying with it. But thank God for a fire shut up in the bones of the church that they can't quit. You know what the book tells me? If they can go out from us, they're not of us. For if they had been of us. They would have no doubt continued. Now why? How can John say that if they had the real thing, they would have without question stayed with it? Wasn't up to them. Wasn't up to Jeremiah. It wasn't up to David when he was down in the cave of Dullam and he said, Saul's armies are after me and they're going to run me over. No, God is in control. Don't be wearied. And don't faint in your minds. But when weakness would fall, and it will fall, it may fall between now and service tonight. It may come tomorrow. It may come in a month or two. But weakness 
weariness and faintness will come. Let us contemplate on what our Savior did for us. I tell you, there's been a lot of wrong doctrine preached and promoted. And we try to have revival. And we try to say, look, you need to do this so your people can get saved. And if the church will do this, then your people will get saved. That's pretty good motivation if I've got somebody I want to see saved. But friends, that ain't biblical. You show me. You show me where it says if I pray hard enough, God's going to save my people. Abraham was a just man, the chosen man of God. Abraham had two sons, you know them. Or Isaac had two sons. Jacob and Esau. Jacob was saved and Esau was rejected. Right? What did Isaac do in that? I tell you what Isaac would have done. And I tell you what Isaac intended to do. He intended to bless Esau. That was his will. That was his choice. He was going to bless Esau with the blessing. And Jacob, Jacob stole it, right? But you know, God, God don't care what I think. God don't care what you think. That's the God's truth. You know why God tells me that I ought to follow Him? Because of what He's done for me. Whether my family gets saved or not. Whether the world gets saved or not. Whether anybody believes my preaching or not. Whether they come and throw me in prison for preaching it or not. I'm to preach it, to stand on it, to endure, and to stay with the Word of God because of what the captain and the finisher of my faith has done for me. The devil said this of Job. Does Job serve God for naught? You've got a hedge about him. And look how blessed he is. He was saying, he's not serving you for nothing. Look what he's getting out of it. Well, the Lord took a hedge down. And the devil took all of his goods. The devil took all of his houses. The devil took all of his sons. And the devil took all of his daughters. Job was left with nothing but a wife that said, curse God and die. In one day, that happened in one day. And Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Well, that wasn't enough. The devil said, yeah, I've took his stuff, but skin for skin, a man will face God then. Let me touch his body. So the Lord said, you touch him, except for his soul. And the devil touched his body, and he was covered in balls from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. And Job could say, the good Lord giveth, and the good Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you know why Job served the Lord? For nothing. When he lost everything that he had, Job served the Lord. When he lost everything, Job said, I'm going to follow him, and though he slay me, yet 
will I serve Him? That's why we have to follow the Lord. It's because of what He's done for us and the work of redemption that He brought unto His church. For ye have not resisted. I'm sorry, I missed a word there. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. You know what the apostles did? They strove against sin unto blood. They brought the blood out of their backs. They brought the blood out of their heads. They brought the blood out of their bodies because of their strife against sin and against ungodliness and against deception and religion. They resisted unto the place that it cost them their life. The Bible said you've not yet resisted there. How blessed that we've been. We could not understand what the church has endured through the ages and what in some places of the world today is enduring for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. They burn them at the stake. They heated hot grills and threw men alive onto the grills. They beheaded and they burnt and they impaled and they crucified and they stoned and they murdered men for the cause of the Lord. They resisted unto the final hour. And as the rocks were beaten off Stephen's head, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He strove to his last breath against sin, and it cost him his life. Boy, I that of you. How blessed, how protected that we've been. But I tell you, it may come. We've not yet. That don't mean it can't happen. I'm afraid the direction and the trajectory that we're heading in the thinking, the mindset, and the laws of our nation, we're headed this way. That it's going to come to a warfare against the truth of God. Are we going to be willing to stand and resist? God help us today while we're blessed, while we're still yet protected, while we haven't yet strove to blood fighting against sin, God help us to endure and to remain that we might lay aside the weights and the sins that beset us and run the race that the Lord has laid before us. That's all that's on our heart.